Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 178 for Monday, January 31st, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as Chef Pixelrefs. Hello, sir. Hello. Yes, we have been exploring a little bit of food discussion in the pre-show in the render distance, which you can get and listen to in your podcatchers every week if you subscribe to us on Patreon. Uh, you can get the extended conversation there every week. We do a little bit pre-show, a little bit post-show, and that's over at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. Um, this is the fifth episode that we've done in this month. So uh, yeah, a little, little bonus uh, right at the end of your January. But I uh, hope everyone's had a good January so far. And rolling into February for the spawn chunks, we might have some interesting stuff coming up. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to see. So stay tuned. I always forget that January has 31 days. It, yeah, it, it feels it, like it shouldn't. It feels like we shouldn't be easing into the year with such a such a hefty month to kick us off. And then, like, conversely, February is very short, right? Yeah. So, like, mm -hmm. it just, it, so even though January feels long, the winter is the same length. <laughs> like it, yeah. Nothing, nothing seems to change. Um, I, I've been spending a lot of time in, in modded Minecraft over the week. Um, do you mind if I just kind of get this off my chest? Oh, please do. I'm yeah, go feeling, for it. I'm feeling mighty stuck, man. Uh, I I installed the Tom Simple Storage mod in all of Fabric 5, and I've been looking for the the gatekeeper of this mod pack, which is Ender Pearls. Uh, and I, I saw one Enderman, and we couldn't quite get his attention to kill him. Uh, in my exploration, uh, I kicked off the stream with some mining thinking like, well, I'll be down to the deep, dark places. If I see an enderman, I'll be able to kind of like look at him and get him to come over. And so I can kill him and get the ender pearl just to unlock this one piece that we need to use the storage mod, because I'm getting to the point now where I'm exploring enough. I'm mining enough. I'm getting enough loot that my storage system has become like a chest monster. And it's like, mm -hmm. even I don't remember where stuff is. And then layer on top of that, I'm new to all of these mods. And so half of the stuff is brand new to me. And it's like, we need the white spore mushroom. I'm just like, I, I'm assuming it's white, but I, I don't know if I've seen that before. Like, do I have one? Do I need to go get some? Like, I don't know. So um, so that has been feeling kind of stuck. So in a little bit of a, uh, a frustration, uh, I decided to explore. And uh, herein lies the positive note, which I think you might be able to speak to in terms of 118 as well. I don't think it's just Terralith. Rivers in 118 are awesome yeah yeah a hundred hundred percent agree we'll get onto my stories with rivers but yes i'm, yeah. I'm in full agreement man i traveling you're you're moving fairly quickly boat travel is like zen you don't have to worry about much granted i have eels in the pack and they will nip at you but it's i'm, I'm armored <laughs> to the point now where i'm not gonna die yeah. right but but as you're traveling around these rivers it's cool because you're not just traveling in one straight direction all the time like you can look at your map another mod and just see okay well the, the general direction of the river is east i'm gonna wind around a bit but that just means i get to see all these new biomes and travel around so it was really fun to go do that but again i'm running into this storage capacity of like how much of this new stuff can i take so you think you're going to be exploring for a while and you realize well i've been out here for 10 minutes we stumbled upon a jungle mansion so a woodland mansion but that has spawned in a jungle biome so it's got a bunch <laughs> of different blocks still uh -huh. has um uh vindicate vindicators to the guys yeah yeah right yeah the vindicators and stuff, and stuff inside yeah. illagers and um but then of course creepers that are super camo uh, even inside, um, because it was dark. Uh, and so there's all that kind of stuff. And we died a lot. Now, not a big deal because graves in the pack, you don't lose your stuff. 
Um, but every time I went back, I had to like grab my backup gear, get a new boat, travel all that way. Um, and on one hand, it became frustrating because they, I died like three times, I think. Pretty yeah. sure there's three boats on the shore of this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you end up counting your deaths by just how many vehicles you got parked outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you're just like, you know, and I'm... I'm a bit of a pack rat. So like, I don't want to leave everything, anything behind, but yeah, I kind of start to pick, choose, like, do I, I don't need more string. I have some string back there. Like I, I mm -hmm. can just take what I really want to take. Um, but um, the, the balance of this, of this woodland mansion, and I didn't really get to the upstairs part of it. I was just looting the basement part and there were tons of chests and lots of bad guys, but the loot was kind of meh. Yeah. And mm -hmm. in high contrast to, the loot that I was getting from this graveyard last week, which was like, wow, like totems of undying and enchanted golden apples and not a bad guy in sight. <laughs> you know? yeah. So it, it went from like, I feel like I'm taking candy from a baby on one mod to I'm getting my butt handed to me. And I don't know if it's necessarily um, that different than vanilla because I... Um, I've never properly raided a woodland mansion. I think Matt Cass and I did once upon a time, but it's very different when you're by yourself versus like, you know, you and two other buddies on a, on a server doing it. And it was so long ago. I'm sure it's changed. You know, like I, I just don't know how difficult they're really supposed to be. So for, in terms of like a, at what stage would you raid a woodland mansion? Well, funnily, you should ask that because I've just done that. <laughs> um, and I think it's, it's honestly weird because the reason to raid a woodland mansion for ages was just to kill evokers to get totems of undying, which now obviously in your mods you're getting in different ways. Now I think a lot of people would probably do a raid before they bothered actually raiding a woodland mansion. And now it's almost like you don't need to raid a woodland mansion for much in particular. There's a chance to get an enchanted golden apple sometimes. There's like i mean you have a really big building once you cleared the whole thing out that you can turn into a base if you want to but there's not really any unique loot there maybe there's a chance of one of the hidden rooms can have a spider spawner in it if you haven't found one of those already but outside of that like there's there's really not a great deal to appeal about a woodland mansion these days and i think the problem you're encountering is that a lot of the mods have been thrown into all of fabric without much consideration or, or probably some consideration but overall a shrug about the balance of vanilla structures versus modded structures and what some of those things really add to the game in terms of the loot experience so like yeah woodland mansions have started to feel a little bit obsolete for me even though they're kind of an iconic structure and i don't see them going anywhere they they just sort of have a couple of guaranteed ill illagers and that's more or less it for me and I don't know whether these villagers were hitting harder than normal because of modded or, you know, or I mean, like, I'm also not wearing a lot of gear. I, like, I couldn't remember if I, I'm pretty sure I took my backpack off and brought my chest plate in, mm -hmm. but I'm still only in iron or in my case, I guess, rose gold armor, which is technically in this mod pack harder. <laughs> right. Um, but like stuff like that, it just, you, I'm just looking for like the easiest way at this point to make the best gear. And so you end up looking like a bit of a hodgepodge, but I did have some enchantments. Like I had, you know, um, I think protection three or something on the chest plate. So, uh, but it just gets frustrating when you're dying so much and then you, you realize that the, the, the loot is just like, well, this wasn't worth it, but it was closer to the end of the stream. Uh, and I, I ended up kind of like, not, I don't want to say rage quit cause that has a real different connotation, but I, I was definitely ready to go and do something else. Um, but the, I, like the, the, 
the way that I looked at it and the positive like that I took out of it was that it would have been way more frustrating and I would have been probably obviously like angered if I had been walking back. But yeah. because of the boats, because of the rivers, because of the access, uh, it really didn't take that long. And your whole row back to your grave, you didn't have to worry about getting hit by a single bad guy that's going to kill you. Like, because mm -hmm. you've got either no gear or very little gear. And really, it was a it was a very easy way to get back. It was a very, like, despite the repetition of doing it a couple of times, uh, when that's when I start to get bored, um, it was, it was still like, okay, well, you know, the fact that these rivers are this traversable is, is fantastic because it makes this corpse run way more palatable than, than it would have been otherwise. Yeah. I found a couple of really interesting places where rivers effectively make lakes. And that's the coolest part of them to me is like, yeah, rivers are a much more accessible way of getting around. Now they're wider, even the frozen rivers where you're boating on top of ice and traveling about a thousand miles an hour. Like <laughs> the, those are now large enough that you can do that without skidding off onto the snow at the side of the river every couple of blocks. And it's, it's much more rewarding. It's very satisfying doing that. And I found that out because I was exploring my 118 world a little bit more. I found a snow plains that was about 5,000 blocks away from spawn. I just picked a direction. I think even my Twitch chat picked a direction for me. And I just went east for, for as far as we felt like going. Um, and that's where I stumbled upon the Woodland Mansion. Instead of seeking it out using one of those Explorer maps, I just happened upon it. Which is probably the first time that's happened. Um... But yeah, like traveling there by boats over oceans, over rivers, you stumble upon really interesting configurations of the scenery and rivers, if they double back on themselves, can create these kind of, especially if it's like surrounded by this sort of natural basin forming out of the hills around it, can really feel like a nice lake area that you could build stuff all around and even have a town coming out onto the lake if you're thinking like, you know, Dale and... and Esgaroth in Lord of the Rings and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, there's there's so much cool stuff you can do with terrain like that that you'd have to have a small like inland ocean biome in previous updates for that to really generate the same way. Right. So I think rivers generally have been fantastic in 118, and and props to the team for making them that way because it's it's a lot more fun, a lot more coherent getting around that way. I also like how much of an obstacle they are from getting from one side to the other. Like it's not like most of the time in the older generation, maybe five or six blocks wide, three blocks deep. Like it's really not a pain in the butt to just jump in because you'd kind of jump in, swim two strokes and jump out the other side. Uh, but now because of how deep rivers tend to be, because of how wide they are in some locations um, or sometimes how close they can get with different um, landscapes on either side they just beg to be bridged like they beg for something to be built there and for a reason across at that particular section or uh, they they want to be bridged because you are so sick and tired of going across some early game without you know um depth strider on your boots and i like that i like that they they offer like a a, a mode of travel but then also build opportunities and and they've become I think cooler to look at too. Like it's cool when you're looking at a river and it goes down five or six blocks, like right from the shore. I yeah. find that it looks, it looks much more interesting because especially because you can see seagrass and fish and stuff swimming around. Like I, I think yeah. that's a much better, much better experience as, as far as a player goes. There are massive drop-offs in some of the rivers that I've been in, in, in valleys that lead through, you know, roofed forest on either side, like dark oak nice. trees coming up around you. And it feels a lot more atmospheric. And then, you know, there's, there's also even with the, 
changes to light level spawning there's now the opportunity for drowned to spawn further down in the river and like it, it it generates a lot of interest that kind of stuff where previously so many of the rivers in default generation were just samey like you could you knew what you were going to get from a river basically every time so i think it's 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 a massive change um some other massive changes i'm getting used to is powder snow or rather avoiding powder snow um, and uh, I've been, as I've been exploring some of these snowier areas, I've stumbled into more mountainous regions, more groves, more snowy slopes, and I find myself, instead of maybe what you'd think of as the intended way of switching to leather boots to walk on powdered snow, I've just been avoiding it, and I've just gotten used to recognizing, oh, that doesn't have snow layers on top of it, it's probably just you know that section there is probably powdered snow let me try and find a way around it as though i'm walking around you know a lava lake or something equally as dangerous and i i'm at the point where i'm just getting used to avoiding it rather than troubling myself to to switch to leather boots and bringing the leather boots with me all the time and i'm thinking about this now because bedrock edition has the functionality where you can have armor on your hotbar if you right click with the armor in your hand you can just instantly swap that piece of armor with whatever you're wearing and so bedrock players might be able to just put those boots on on the fly if they've got them in like you know slot seven or eight of your hotbar or whatever right so i would love that to be in java edition and i think that would encourage me to actually use the powder snow thing a lot more and and, and travel on powder snow and as it was i put the boots on just to experience oh i can walk on powder snow and you can use it to even like go up and down as though it's like a a, a scaffolding block or an elevator kind of thing and then I just never really bothered with it again. So yeah. I, I'm finding that there's sort of uh, interesting sides to exploring the new terrain and, and what you actually bother with interacting with at this stage. Uh, my reaction to powdered snow is is kill it with fire. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been really... Because I wear netherite boots because they got high durability and I've got lots of feather falling enchantments and stuff on them because I just jump off of stuff. The joke on my streams is usually like, oh, your poor ankles. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. Uh, and as a result, I don't want to have to switch boots. Like I already have to sacrifice a helmet if I go to the nether and I have to wear a gold helmet so I don't get, you know, bugged by piglins. Uh, not that it would be a big deal in our established nether hub, but still like you just, you don't want to have that one shot piglin that you didn't realize was there. And, uh, as in exploring the 118 mountains that we've uh, added to the server, uh, many of us are voicing our frustrations with the powdered snow when you're just, you just want to go and explore and build and be end game for your minecraft server four and a half year minecraft server and you're constantly being like slowly it's not like you're gonna die like i've got enough armor and health and food that's not gonna kill me but like my exploration has come it's like it's brought to a grinding halt as you yeah. sink four blocks into powdered snow and you're just like oh now i have to destroy the landscape and get out of here and, <laughs> and you might as well have creeper holes everywhere and and for us it's been really frustrating and the consensus have been like it would be nice if some sort of like end game enchantment or something that's really harder to get um that you could put on maybe only netherite boots or just something that would allow you to have the same sort of like aqua affinity uh, not aqua affinity um depth strider sort of ability but in powdered snow whether that's frostwalker whatever that is yeah um to be able to just get up and get out of it because like you think like as an end game player, like I've got beacons and netherite gear and elytra and like I am, I'm owning this world, but snow 
is like <laughs> the bringing of your me to existence. a grinding yeah. halt. So yeah, like, yeah. and I find that kind of strange. So, so I, I feel like there should be some sort of solution for. I mean, I, I get it. Leather boots make sense early on. You have to choose between leather and, and iron, and that helps with your exploration as you're walking around. That's cool. I mean, it's a cool mechanic for early game. But I find that with a lot of these mechanics that they've been adding lately, they don't really consider like how the end game player that has worked very hard to basically feel like God and rule this world, you know, that you've been spending all this time in um, to then just like, by the way, feathers can kill you. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that kind of stuff feels a little bit strange. Um, yeah. It's, but, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of an, an interesting balance. Like you've got to still have some hazards at a certain point in the game, yeah. but like it's, it's whether those things are really hazards or whether they're just kind of like vaguely irritating. Like it's, it's almost there to troll us rather than actually cause us serious harm at this point. Right. So that, that may be the intention. And obviously there are many other uses for powdered snow once you harness it for your own ends. And we might talk a little bit more about that in the news actually, because I know some, some bedrock players have been talking about the merits of powdered snow lately. Um, but then, yeah, there's there's just some irritation to be to be handled there. I think is the the main problem. Well, speaking of problems, one of the other things that I've been tackling uh, on the Citadel has been the addition of this parade square and the um, guard quarters, or you know, captain of the guard quarters that I'm adding to the front of the build, and it is meant that I have to adjust um the curtain wall and how the whole thing attaches and um it's time consuming but i've made some decent progress i've got kind of like the main shapes and um some of the building attachments kind of mapped out now i haven't done the textures haven't done the final blocks but like the basic color palette and i mean surprise it's brown and gray Mm -hmm. um uh, are there uh but uh it was really fun to edit the something in the town that i wasn't happy with which was the shape of the curtain wall. Yeah. Uh, it's not a hundred percent like exactly how I'd like it. It's going to be one of those things where I probably have to like take some losses and be like, okay, well it's not perfect, but like it's my first crack at something like this. So um, it's not going to all go exactly how you have planned. Uh, however, it's, I feel much better about it than I did before and ran into even some happy accidents where I had planned this like two building structure with a, large kind of like peak roof hall and then a tower and the tower is tall enough that you can have a second floor to it and as a result um the terrain also gets higher about that spot and so we have this staircase that goes up so rather than the curtain wall gradually getting higher which is very hard to make look good when you're dealing with a battlement the fact that minecraft is so blocky and you're going at an angle, but then also increasing in height. And the solution is go straight up <laughs> yeah, uh, mm-hmm. in a staircase. And so that's happy accident. Uh, this little courtyard ended up being something that I could raise on one side. And now to get up to the second level of the wall, which is on top of the hill, uh, you just go up a set of stairs. Mm-hmm. And so stuff like that has been coming together nicely. I've managed to smooth out the wall. It's it's looking a lot, a lot better now. I'm still concerned about some large sections that are pretty flat, but most of the time it's it's good. I've not done anything like, you know, make it look like it's part of the landscape or finish the texture. Like it's all just basically like here are the the broad strokes of this area. But I'm really happy with the way that it's coming out. It's nice to kind of take some ideas and kind of like move into a new section of town it's feeling the build is feeling fresh and new despite the fact that i've been on it for about a year yeah that's good that's always always a good feeling when you you think this should be getting stale but i keep finding new stuff to keep it fresh that's uh, always nice so with 
keeping stuff fresh uh have you done any like uh multiplayer stuff because i know you've been doing so much um survival guide yeah um i've been part of clash the creators again this month which has been super fun uh i i had a <laughs> a bit of a hectic time last night when uh me cub fan ellie beatmaker and the guy 1604 were in in january's clash of the creators as a team this is my 10th time doing clash of the creators which only really uh, you know discovered that after after the fact um but this was Another two-hour event, we're getting vanilla advancements in Minecraft 1.17, but with a data pack that uh, Plagiatus had written himself, but I think there are other versions of it publicly available. Uh, I think Seth Bling did this originally, and then somebody else kind of took up the reins after that. But all of the loot tables had been randomized, and that's not just like loot tables for chests and stuff. All blocks, basically, I'm learning this, all, all blocks have... A loot table or loot chests or mobs they have a loot table behind the scenes and so with all of that being randomized if you broke a grass block it didn't drop a grass block it dropped something else and then whatever it dropped if it was like say for example a block of blue wool you could break that and it would turn into something else and so instead of the items dropping themselves and being able to like harvest a bunch of wood to make our first crafting tables and stuff we were scrambling around trying to figure out what made cobblestone and if you broke a block of stone it gave you a block of honey <laughs> and then there was just there's these bizarre like <laughs> switches and of course all of the teams had the same stuff and the blocks were always consistent so a block of dirt would always drop a block of blue wool and llamas would always drop something from the wither skeleton loot table and stuff like that so this made the whole process a little bit more chaotic at first as we were trying to you know exchange information pretty mm -hmm. quickly we discovered that if you broke tall seagrass it gave you a blue orchid if you broke a blue orchid it gave you an entire block of diamond so we all basically started out with full diamond gear within about the first five minutes. And from there, it was fine because we had all of the stuff we needed to break the different blocks. And it was just figuring out what was what and what could lead to advancements being available. And because there's some stuff like taming a horse, for example, just requires you to find a horse. You don't actually need any resources for it. But then there are various other things that you need to, uh, like acquire cobblestone and sticks so that you can make a cobblestone pickaxe which is normally one of the first things you do that happened about an hour into this event after we'd already <laughs> got like 50 other advancements so it was it was chaotic but it was very very fun um and an interesting insight into how loot tables actually work uh so i'll try and find the randomizer that i like i, f I found this just to kind of check out how it worked beforehand it won't be the exact same thing but i think it was by fazguy yeah fazguy.net and slash minecraft underscore randomizer will get you that i will leave a link to that in the show notes as well but it's it's a riot uh it's a java data pack that you can install uh, on a fresh 1.17 or 1.18 world i think you can even do it for for older versions and and the newest versions as well but not recommended for your every day like i play this all the time vanilla world like you'll want to start a fresh one but it's 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 a trip it's very very fun and yeah recommended if you need something as a, a light distraction from the 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 usual minecraft and if you just want to like run around chaotically punching chickens to see what loot they drop it sounds like one of those situations where you have to unlearn what you have learned yeah in in a way although you have to retain certain elements of what you've learned for like remembering oh yeah i need cobblestone in order to craft a 
dispenser or like you know mm. you know once you find a target block like you need to find the thing that drops redstone so you can put together the the cheesy way of getting the bullseye advancement and stuff like that so it was a fun mix of just reacting to stuff when we didn't know what was going to happen and okay how do we actually apply our minecraft knowledge to this right so, so yeah a really fun with, event with stuff like that like how were you communicating all verbally or were you keeping notes in game like you know blue orchid equals diamond block i mean that's easy to remember but like yeah once you get like six eight twelve recipes like that like were you writing them all down in the game somewhere no, we we just ended up sharing information verbally, trying to remember the stuff that gave us specific things. And honestly, if we'd been more organized about it, it would have been a lot better. We still ended up winning, which was great. But like, I think if we'd kept like, if not a like a written record, then maybe just like put down a bunch of blocks in the sequence that they would change you know so like if, if you find like a grass block gives you blue wool and then the blue wool gives you a daylight sensor and the daylight sensor gives you a flower and the flower gives you something else just put all of those things in a line so you can see where in the sequence a specific resource was that would have worked out but because the teams were randomized as well as part of the event we didn't really have much time to strategize except on the fly so in the end we just ended up running around like headless chickens for the most part trying to just punch <laughs> everything to see what it did but very very fun would absolutely do another event like that with different advancements or something because it was it was chaos in the the best possible way see i always find myself a bit intimidated by events like that because while i've been playing the game for a long time i'm the one asking the chat room what's the recipe for the grindstone again <laughs> like mm -hmm, just, yeah you know i'm that guy um but stuff like this would even the playing field dramatically i would think yeah, I, th I think the, the weirdest part was just how full your inventory got of useless mm. blocks, but then you were keeping them all on them because they might turn into something useful again later, and you just weren't <laughs> sure what was what. So I ended up uh, stockpiling wood just so I could bring a bunch of crafting tables with me, because every time you put down a crafting table to craft something, if you broke it, it turned into something else. So you ended up not being able to bring like the basic things. Like I think we struggled to find what made a furnace for a really long time and yeah there, there was some there was some pretty wild stuff in there it was it was it was hilarious in in so many ways but had a, had a great time doing it moving on to the news this week we have a beta in the bedrock edition it's beta 1.18.20.21 and you can find a link to that in our show notes as well frogs frogs now jump more frequently frog eggs have been renamed to frog spawn the time for frog spawn to hatch into tadpoles has been increased. Tadpole hitbox is now larger. Frog spawn has a new texture. Frogs in meadow biomes are now temperate variants. They've tweaked the frog's jump and tongue animations. In the Create a New World menu, the Create New World screen has been given a new design and is now available for some players. Vanilla parody, worlds can now be created with a 64-bit seed uh, with a value of negative 9.2 quintillion up to positive 9.2 quintillion and those can be copied between bedrock and java to produce the same world non-numeric seed ui inputs now produce the same seeds as java edition yeah and there's a bunch of other stuff in that change log as well but i thought we could do like a, a cut down version of it that isn't just all of the minor tweaks and bug fixes but the 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 headline news, I think, here, even though it's buried under the information about frogs being slightly different, is seed parity. Because as somebody who's obviously been a Java player for a while and is used to 
you know, having to give Bedrock players the bad news that the worlds that I'm putting in my videos aren't going to be available to them on Bedrock because of the way Bedrock terrain generates differently. Hugely excited <laughs> about the fact that there is now 64-bit seed parity because people have sent me screenshots of the current survival guide world, which would previously have generated totally differently terrain uh, on, on Bedrock Edition. And it's running in the most recent beta and they're showing me landmarks from like, oh, here's that waterfall that you turned into your first wheat farm. And like, do you recognize this cave and that kind of stuff? And I'm like, yes, finally. Um, this is probably only going to affect a small handful of players on balance. The people who care about their worlds being transferable between Bedrock and Java. But for those people, it is the world. It is massive. And hats off to the team for pursuing this as a change. And hopefully just having that initial, you know, 32-bit seed parity was the catalyst for them being able to do more of that and it didn't you know end up being a, a huge labor to do that but but what a change and I'm, I'm just incredibly happy that at last if you give a bedrock player and a java player the same seed number they'll get the same world that's that's incredible to me now to clarify this isn't necessarily like a saved game like you can't play in bedrock for a couple months and then transfer that world to java yeah right? it's 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 not like that kind of thing it's much more just whatever you give the terrain generation algorithm it will produce right. the same basic results and right. there may still be some changes as far as i'm aware in positions of stuff like structures you know if the bedrock terrain generator doesn't think that a pillager outpost could spawn there then it won't put one there necessarily but there is still some parity in that as well. Um, I think they, they showed that up to, you know, the release of 1.18. They said, like, yeah, they're, they're, we're sneaking in a couple of a couple of structures end up in the same places. Like, the, the shipwrecks might generate slightly differently, but they'll generate in the same places. They'll just be a different configuration of the same landmark. And, right. yeah, there's, there's some stuff like that that is actually meshing now. And so if I direct people to a woodland mansion in the Survival Guide World Seed it might end up being in the same place in Bedrock. And that's, yeah, mind-blowing to me. Yeah, I had a similar discussion on stream on the weekend. And, and the, the general kind of consensus was that, like with so many Minecraft content creators um, playing on Java Edition, this is just such a nice parody to have because it just, it brings those, the Bedrock players, which I, you know, would be the majority of the player base, um, closer to that experience if they wanted to, explore or mimic or contribute to you know the content that they see online the other thing i've noticed uh bedrock edition players mentioned this week which was kind of downplayed in this um the changelog for this bedrock edition beta but the the hitboxes of coral fans are slightly different or like mobs no longer see coral fans as something that they can walk over and this is the equivalent on bedrock edition of trapdoors being able to like trick mobs into walking over them for mob farms um, and the, there's been a bit, of, a bit of back and forth with the developers on Twitter about this because they've said that ideally powdered snow is the kind of thing that you're supposed to use for mob farms like this because mobs will just freely walk over it, they'll fall down through the powdered snow and then, you know, that, that's how you can have your mob farm work. And a few players have pushed back about this because for a start, powdered snow slows things down. Like if you have mobs falling through powdered snow, it's not as slow as falling through cobwebs, but it's definitely slower than them just dropping straight through a a shaft into whatever killing mechanism you have right um but the other thing is some mobs if you're playing on harder difficulties will spawn with equipment and sometimes that means your zombies your skeletons are going to spawn with leather boots and those mobs have the same immunity to powder snow traps as players do when they're wearing leather boots in that they don't fall through them at all which means right. ultimately your mob farm ends up stopping working 
and with Bedrock Edition having lower mob spawn rates than Java to begin with, this is frustrating a lot of players who like to take the technical approach to Bedrock. Um, thankfully, this morning, I, I noticed a bit of a tweet from um, Megaspud, who's one of the folks who shares a little bit more of the tech kind of back and forth on uh, on Bedrock Edition, saying that they're, they're kind of open to feedback about a lot of this stuff. The the changes that they're making to some of this stuff has have either been like reverted or they're just listening to player feedback and seeing what's going to work best for for other players and just trying to get the best of both worlds for, for Bedrock players, really. So it's good to know that the Bedrock team is open to that because a lot of advocacy from the Java community has led to a lot of, you know, bugs being fixed that then ended up getting reverted or made like more formally into features thanks to uh the java community saying like we still want quasi connectivity to be in the game we still want certain mob behaviors to be there because we rely on them for certain things even the the back and forth that happened about iron farms during the 1.14 update snapshots was just an example of how the community can still have the game that they want to play through that kind of dialogue with the developers so the the situation is ongoing <laughs> not going to report it as a formal news item but just thought it was something to uh, to keep an eye on as the betas for bedrock continue to roll out does powdered snow melt in the nether it doesn't i don't believe um I, because i i think ice is the only thing that does and then it sort of evaporates but then powder snow doesn't turn into water so i think it's kind of exempt from that behavior i've definitely seen people using powder snow to break their fall in the nether because that you can place it like a water bucket in the overworld as right. you fall you can place it on the block below you and i guess that usually involves you know grabbing it in the bucket again and running off with it so it's not there for long enough to see whether it melts or not but i don't believe it does don't quote me on that but i don't think so i'm just saying like you know with with trapdoors and mob farms and stuff like that if they removed that feature then and and powdered snow was not something that worked in the nether then you all those mob farms wouldn't work at the nether right mm. so you'd have to yeah. have the the powdered snow i mean one advantage i think uh and this i do remember is that hot mobs like magma cubes uh i think zombie pigment like anything in the nether take more damage from powdered snow if i recall blazes like anything anything that's like a fire mob takes more damage from powdered snow than the average zombie in the overworld yeah it says uh, uh, I'm, I'm on the minecraft wiki for this now because i was looking up the uh the nether properties it says fire related mobs like striders magma cubes and blazes take five uh points of damage so like two and a half hearts from from right. freezing damage instead of like half a heart every couple of seconds right so that, i mean that's so cool if you i mean if you want to use it for a specific use in the nether then that's good um but yeah if it's if it, messes up the timing of your farm and so many of these farms have like a very technical so many mobs dropping out to make sure that the spawn rates increase and all that kind of stuff like it if it's too slow for that then it, it it's not a viable solution yeah um it also says it's broken by water or lava or even shot with a flame enchanted bow so if you fire a flaming arrow into this if you're a skeleton and you spot something that you want to attack then if you've got a flame bow, then that means you can destroy blocks of powdered snow. So again, right. there's, there, there are potentially some fail safes you'd need in the farm, although you probably wouldn't be within range of the skeleton's aggro anyway. But there's, there's just a couple of little technical things that make powdered snow a little bit more impractical. And it's interesting to see the, the changes that the developers want to make to player behavior and players' overall reactions to that. I think we're also seeing the same thing in Java Edition right now with uh, King B-Dogs and a couple of other folks tweeting about how Skulk is going to be used 
as XP storage and is ultimately going to be the solution to fixing the zombie pigman aggro bug because the zombie pigmen are still going to give you XP when you kill them right now because, you know, the the aggression behavior makes them think that they're being killed by a player when they get killed by whatever. And that's how, um, you know, gold farms work and give you a ton of XP in the process. But with Skulk, it's a way of storing that XP in block form. So if the mob dies, then it generates more Skulk blocks and mining those gives the player XP, but there's still like a middleman process in there, which is mining the Skulk blocks up to get the XP. So interesting to see some of these mechanics developing a little bit more and changing to fit the developer's vision and finding solutions to, you know, stuff that play stuff that has been a bug for a while, but it's something that players end up relying on. With that out of the way, let's move on to Chunk Mail. We've got a couple in this week, and one of them is going to, I think, lead into our main discussion, really. So this first one uh, is completely separate. This comes in from Tim S., who is a landscape artist member of our Discord. Thank you so much for writing in. The subject is in-game learning. Hello, Joel and Johnny. I've taken my first steps into the world of Redstone and have quite enjoyed the puzzle-solving aspects of a Redstone build. That said, I find myself often referring to the wiki to understand the basic components and simple Redstone circuits. While watching Joel's All of Fabric 5 VODs, I noticed that many mods include a manual by combining a book with a special ingredient. For example, to get the manual for the Batania mod, the player combines a book with a sapling. What if there was a redstone manual in vanilla Minecraft by combining a book with redstone dust, or a manual for enchanting even by combining a book with lapis? Do you think this would fit within Minecraft? Tim suffocated by triggering the wrong piston. <laughs> it's happened to us all, Tim. No shame in it. I love this idea because it's one of the things that I really like about uh, some of the better mods that I've experienced in All of Fabric 5, which is once you realize that the manual is something that you can craft in the game um, from WUD mod, that knowledge then becomes like, oh, okay, if I'm frustrating or, or having a hard time with this mod, does it have a book? So that you can use roughly enough items, you know, to look up the book, which is a little bit of, it's like an extension of the in-game Minecraft recipe book. Um, but I, I just, I really like this idea for vanilla Minecraft. I think that it keeps players in the game rather than going to the wiki. And it could provide some really interesting opportunities for, we'll call it Minecraft lore, whatever the main Bible is that we don't know, you know, at, at Mojang for the, the lore of the world and the, the rules that they set, set up for themselves in terms of what they communicate to the players. Um, I think it would be really cool to, you know, either craft it yourself or have it be something in a loot table from a dungeon or shipwreck or something like that. That's fairly easy to get. Um, because it would just provide the player with that much more knowledge, especially if it wasn't even something that was heavily worded, which I know in some cases, like comparators and things like that, you might, you might want to go that route for, but imagine a redstone book in Minecraft. That's like a Lego instruction manual, mm -hmm. right? Just pictures, cool pixel art, some opportunities for some awesome art from the Minecraft team to go into this book that you can flip through. Um, pictures help it transcend language barriers around the world. Like it could be really, really fun um, to, to do that. Now, I, I would say that in some ways that kind of breaks my experience and some of the things that brought me even farther into the Minecraft world, which was looking things up on YouTube. So yeah. weirdly, I find the wiki immersion breaking. But when I'm not playing the game and I need to go watch some YouTube stuff to learn about Redstone, to watch players like Mumbo or Nembon or whatever, uh, 
I, I find that that makes me feel like I'm more of the Minecraft collective experience, not less. Yeah. Right. It's more community based. And so I understand that they don't want to remove that either. Um, but I think that, you know, a Redstone Basics book would have helped me out considerably when I was learning how to do this stuff. Because without YouTube, I would have no clue what to do with Redstone. None. Yeah. Yeah. I I kind of take the opposite approach to this. I'm looking at it from a different perspective here. But like, I think practical examples are a much easier way for me to learn things than reading about them and i always make this argument whenever somebody asks me to make a video about the individual redstone components is that i can explain what it does but that doesn't necessarily explain how to use them mm. and i think minecraft if it was providing an instruction manual for redstone would have to impose certain ideas upon the player that the game itself does not necessarily want to and it's players who are coming up with the idea for making, you know, a sugarcane farm out of redstone components, for example. But they're not doing that necessarily by thinking through, this is what this component does in a vacuum, you know what I mean? So mm. I think for Minecraft to show you practical examples of how redstone can be used, it needs to do that in the form of stuff like generated structures. So like, I, I recently raided a jungle temple, and one of the things I didn't take into account, I sort of took for granted at the time, but thinking back on it now is quite significant, is how for some players that might serve as an introduction to certain redstone components. If you think about what's right. in a jungle temple, even though it's not very interesting for the average player who's just there to loot the room, you've got tripwires, you've got redstone activated arrow dispensers, there's a concealed door with a repeater and three sticky pistons, and a bunch of levers and stuff like that. The Jungle Temple is basically a sort of redstone lab, more or less. And if you want to pull it apart and see what it does, then you can do a ton of stuff with that. The thing is, a lot of players now don't need to rely on that because they have the resources available to them via YouTube and the internet. And so if they want to look up a 2 by 2 door design with pistons, then they're not looking to a Jungle Temple, they're looking to Mumbo Jumbo or whoever. And personally, I think... The practical examples that you get from stuff like Jungle Temples are one way of presenting that information without giving players a bunch of literature to read. Even if it's like pictograms and stuff, like it, it feels a little bit strange for the the tone of Minecraft. And if it was straight up written language, you know, if there was a bunch of literature to read, I would probably tune that out instantly. Like, I find reading about redstone components themselves on the Minecraft wiki completely impenetrable. It's just not the way my brain works. And yeah. the language of redstone often ends up feeling kind of esoteric to the point where you, you think, like, the player should have a baseline level knowledge of, like, electronics before you even get started. As soon as somebody starts talking about logic gates and uses phrases like, you know, the XOR gate and the RS nor latch and the t flip flop like my brain just switches off like i can't i can't handle that stuff even when somebody's trying to leave a helpful comment on my youtube videos i just it doesn't process for me so i i kind of wonder if there are ways of the game presenting that stuff to you in the form of a practical example like you know in the same way that the igloo teaches you to de-zombify villagers like if it can just give you the components and say solve this simple puzzle and then you know, it gives you a repeater that you set the timing to a certain delay and that's what unlocks, you know, a, a hidden door in the structure or something like that. I, I think doing stuff like that and giving players effectively a small puzzle 
is going to be a lot more effective than telling them, well, a repeater can delay the signal by this amount of in-game ticks. <laughs> and you just sort of go, well, what do I do with that? I think showing somebody how to do something is going to be more effective than telling them in a way. Especially with redstone being used for farming certain things and, and collecting certain things, you kind of wonder whether there, there could be an opportunity there to add some very small, very simple um, redstone farming components to villages, like have a farmer use a, a piston for something, you know, or um, even if it's just showing like a hopper going into a chest underneath a uh, composter, right? Yeah. Like just we, like little things like that um could be could be cool to illustrate to the player i i, I flip-flop on this like on one hand like i like having a, a solid instruction manual i'm a very visual person in that way um but then because i'm thinking about pictures like i'm thinking mostly about pictures with this but i understand the point about having stuff in world and having like here here's a very small scale version of what this block composition of redstone components can do but if you want to do something cool with it like here's the concept now use your imagination and create a sugar cane farm that's, you know, 26 blocks long, and you know, whatever mm -hmm. you want to do, that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, one of the things that I've seen a lot lately because I've been watching some mods on YouTube is um, the create mod that, that doesn't necessarily have an instruction manual, but in the mod, it provides some animated on-screen kind of like composition of components because it is such a complex mod. And there's lots of moving parts uh, and rotations and gears and things. They provide you with an example of how this component works not necessarily how to build a thing but it's like this is a conveyor belt and it takes items from one place to another it goes up and down and so once you get that concept you start to test it in the world like how far up and down can it go you know like what does it go at angles can i do straight up or straight down like there's a lot of stuff that can be explored there and but i like the fact that it gives you that visual kind of like animated this is how these components go together. This is the end result. Um, but I, I don't know if Minecraft Redstone is so complex that it needs that. Um, I would imagine that's something more unique to create mod just because it is such a very complex mod. Yeah, and, and there are certain things which are designed to have more or less one purpose. And yeah. the thing about Redstone is it's like it, it, you're giving people the building blocks and expecting them to create something bigger out of that rather than giving them like a fully realized component and saying this does it, this is designed for one thing specifically. Yeah. And yeah. and that's that's the difficulty is like, yeah, providing effectively just a, a series of components that the player can put together into something more interesting. The The other thing I've noticed Mojang doing, and this may be you know perhaps part of the design philosophy creeping in now like the consideration of making stuff like this when it's fresh in the game more accessible i've seen footage and now a couple of screenshots of the upcoming ancient cities that are part of the deep dark which have redstone lamps in some of them and people have speculated although i don't think it appears in the video itself that those have hidden skulk sensors maybe on top of the redstone lamp so that when the player walks nearby it sends a redstone signal to the redstone lamp and that turns it on because the skulk sensor is detecting your footsteps and people have speculated hey that's just a way of showing players that skulk sensors output a redstone signal because when you would encounter them they're an alarm system for the warden and that's how they appear in the environment right but 
what you don't realize is that you can then take that somewhere else, put it in your redstone contraption, and you have a player detector, and then it combines with a comparator to have all of these different output, uh, depending on what the sound effect is nearby, it'll output a different range of signals. And like the the amount of that that you would have to explain in an instruction manual for what a skulk sensor is completely breaks the law compared to just putting it in the city somewhere that it can activate a you know an innocuous redstone lamp and then give the players the idea of like oh maybe that has a redstone interaction let me see what else i can do with that and letting the player's own behavior snowball the interaction with the skulk sensor the component from there um Obviously, that's not going to teach you all of the stuff that a comparator does, but I think the problem with older redstone components is that they've been in the game for so long that those sort of considerations weren't really around when you know they were just throwing cool stuff into the game for people to, to work with, and more advanced redstone components came up. There wasn't really a way to introduce that stuff to the player other than just having them talk about it and play around with it and community knowledge spreading what that was um so so i think now they're considering a lot more if a player is coming to this without any previous knowledge of redstone how do we indicate to somebody that this is a redstone component um so it's it's interesting to see that and i wonder how that's going to affect the addition of future components if uh, if we get some in forthcoming updates skulk is a really good example yeah i i would agree with you that that the way that they implemented it or the the idea that that's how they're implementing it and showing the player that it ex that it puts out a signal is much better than having to read because it's such a complex addition uh yeah to to the to the blocks i i'm glad you brought up lore because um i'm curious about what you think of the other part of um tim's question which was about having a a a tome or a manual that would explain enchanting um how, like does is this the same does you have the same sort of opinion like do you think it's better to just explore the enchantments or do you think that they need some explanation i think a lot of stuff about enchanting becomes intuitive and i don't say that lightly because obviously there's a certain amount of it that still feels fairly complex but the stuff that feels complex is getting the enchantments that you want and knowing exactly what's out there. And that's the kind, the kind of stuff that can be done with a reasonable amount of trial and error. I think when it comes to setting up an enchantment table, obviously, like, knowing that you have to put a certain amount of bookshelves around it to get a better enchantment is one thing, but there are, like, environmental storytelling clues going on there. Like, the enchantment table has a book open on the top of it, so, like, if you put a bookshelf nearby it kind of goes together with with the theme of it. If you open it up, it's got a slot for lapis where it's quite clearly kind of outlined the, the sprite mm -hmm. for lapis is. And you kind of think, oh, okay, there's something else I can put in here. Let me try certain things. There's enough trial and error, I think, in enchanting that can lead to you happening upon various different enchantments that are actually useful to the player ultimately. And there aren't really any bad enchantments there are just enchantments that we know we want having played through the game with a bit more experience now whereas with redstone i feel like it's much more open-ended enchanting is a closed system you know you, you can't really experiment much more with enchanting than just enchanting some tools and combining some things whereas redstone is a much more broad topic uh so enchanting i don't think needs it necessarily unless the system somehow gets a lot more complex further down the line so I had experienced 
um, confusion when I was first getting into Minecraft and was dealing with um, enchantments because I had seen a little bit maybe on YouTube, but like as I was getting into into it myself, like I didn't know what half of the stuff did. I mean, like some things are self-explanatory, like sharpness on a sword. Like I've played enough video games in my life. Yeah. To go, okay, that's good. Yeah. I want that probably, you know, but then you get like, like aqua affinity. Sure. Sounds good. What does it do? Why do I want it? Like, am I spending, should I be spending money, you know, my, my hard earned levels and lapis on aqua affinity, or should I be getting protection on my helmet? Like what, like, I kind of wish that there was a little bit of a, of an explainer as to what it would do, you know? Um, and, and again, something that could be done with pictures or something that could be done with a, you know, a, a tome. I, I don't find that putting 15 bookshelves around an enchanting table is at all intuitive. Like if yeah, I didn't mm -hmm. see that done in a video would have never put that together yeah. on my own. Um, so that like that kind of stuff, um, especially like, like if, even if you just came across an enchanting table somewhere in the world that had like, um, uh, those little glyphs kind of floating off of it, mm -hmm. you know? and putting it into the, like showing it happening then you're like oh if i do that or if i transport all this home with me uh then it'll do the same thing at my you know at my base and it'll work out so i i i like the idea of having some sort of you know in-game book especially because the enchantment table has a book on top of it maybe even it's just as simple as i mean like you right click on the enchanting table maybe it just has like a recipe book in it you know or you can read the book you know, and it just kind of says, oh, you want to come, you know, you want these kind of enchantments or, or here are an explanation of what they do. Um, yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to just look it up because like something about like, you know, Bane of Anthropods. It's like, well, I know what an anthropod is. So I, I kind of can put two and two together. But like that kind of stuff I find when it gets into very specific things. Um, the biggest question that I had, uh, which I had long into my early game Minecraft experience was... Um, Okay, feather falling two better, but then feather falling one. But is that is three the most? Why is there, there's four, but there's only sharpness three? No, is there yeah. sharpness four? Like knowing where to stop. Like when do you know? Oh, that's the best. That's the one I should get. Mm -hmm. And knowing that it doesn't go any higher, they don't communicate that very well either. I find. Yeah, I think it that that's that's much more about again experimentation and like mm -hmm. if you combine an enchanted book with gear you've already got. If you notice that it, if you add a feather falling four book to feather falling four boots, it doesn't then produce something that says feather falling five. I guess that's that's the only indication you have. But I think enchanting is another one of those systems that's just old enough by now that they didn't really introduce it in a way that wasn't just directly communicated to the player, and players have just been able to pass that knowledge on. But yeah, it's it, it it's it's the slippery slope of like at what point do we signpost every mechanic in the game and tell you exactly how it works i'm 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 curious to see what people's feedback is about that because it'd it'd be interesting to know how much hand holding you want in minecraft and how much you're expected to experiment and, and look things up and whatnot so our next email uh is going to spark the main discussion for the show do you want to read this one Oh, sure. Yeah, this comes in from Nightlaw09, and the subject is Survival Tips for Large Builds. Hi, Johnny and Joel. I love the show. Although I've played Minecraft since the 1.14 update, I'm very new to the concept of building in-game and where I want to improve. Uh, I want to take on building a castle, but where I get stuck is where to even get started. Most building tutorials on YouTube seem to be in creative mode. Can you offer any advice or tips for the survival player 
on how to effectively lay out, plan, visualize, and actually start a large-scale building project when you're dealing with things like terrain challenges, height differences, block pallets, etc. Should I just go out there with my colored wool and get to work? Do you recommend scaffolding or not? Uh, any insight you can provide would be much appreciated. Nightlaw09 hit the ground too hard, falling off his scaffolding while trying to reach a castle roof. So yeah, we decided this should be our main discussion this week. It kind of builds on what we, uh, haha, builds on uh, what we were discussing last <laughs> week when it came to like approaching build projects where you build your base and that kind of stuff. So it seemed like a uh, a nice topic for this week's main discussion. And something that I have a fair amount of experience with, having just spent the last year and a half on the same build. I mean, there's mm -hmm. multiple little builds within it, but overall there's a vibe to the entire place and it's large. Uh, and so thought that I could speak to this uh, at length, but to, to build on uh, what we said last week with the landscape stuff, um, I would suggest using the landscape. Uh, there are some specific situations where, yes, you want to do a, a bit of, you know, excavation and whatnot. Um, in our uh, modern city on the Citadel, f because of the way we wanted to build it, we ended up like flattening a lot of stuff. But in terms of a castle specifically, or anything that you want to look more natural in the landscape, no matter what it is, uh, I would say use the land. So if you listened last week and you know where you want to build, um, I would suggest trying to remove as little of the landscape as possible. C giving yourself some boundaries does foster creativity and kind of say, okay, well, I want to build this thing, but there's this hill in the way. Do I build on top of the hill? Do I make an entrance in the hill and make the hill part of the building? You know, like what, what can you do for all that kind of stuff? Um, for West Hill, the town that I'm building on the Citadel, um, I chose the location because there was a big Western mountain that would provide a natural barrier, which means there was one less wall I had to build. Um, but also through the plains biome, there was a two or three rivers that snake through uh, where I wanted to build. And I just thought that's a really cool opportunity to have the town divided by a river. The river could provide commerce in terms of like reasons for building near the river and an opportunity to build bridges. I think I've got at least three, if not four bridges right now in, in, in the entire city. So mm -hmm. that kind of stuff kind of really helped, you know, me choose that location and, um, use the landscape, you know, and it, the landscape informed what I was going to do. I needed those bridges, which means those needed roads, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So when you're coming to projects like that, um, I feel like you want to just kind of like take into account the natural landscape and how that might um, like influence how you, how you see it, like how you come into the area. Uh, and, and experience the build, your first impression of the build. Like, are you coming over a hill? Are you coming down from a mountain? Are you coming out of a cave to reveal something? Are you going into a cave to reveal something now that we're dealing with 118 and there's these massive caverns? You know, I think utilizing the landscape that Minecraft gives you will cut down on the amount of work and the the, the daunting task ahead of you, you know? Yeah, also helps give your builds a lot more character because I find building stuff on a completely flat landscape leads to everything being a lot more dull. Like, And especially since you are building for the sight lines of you walking around on this completely flat plain. Um, so if you're building something on a hillside, you know, there is a much more... It's, it's much easier to have, like, one tower that rises up above the others because it starts on a higher elevation and then if you're looking at that from the plane's 
you know, leading up to this mountain where your castle is, you'll be able to see that tower much more clearly at that angle. Whereas if you build a shorter tower on a flat kind of landscape, then it's just going to get lost behind some of the other things that are in the foreground. So like thinking about what's in the foreground, what's in the background from the angle you're going to be looking at it is is pretty important. As far as using the landscape goes, I favor the approach of treating messing with the landscape like you're molding clay. Like you can't add any more clay, you can subtract a little bit more if you need to, but I feel like shaping the landscape around something when you've decided what area you want to actually kind of flatten out a little bit and build around, and then having the dirt kind of form up around the outside of it a little bit makes it look a little bit more nestled into the landscape, allows for a little bit more character to build around there, and makes it feel like it's been there for longer because the terrain has effectively shifted a little bit since it was built. In the case of castles especially, that's usually worth knowing because castles are built to be there for a long time, and in many cases have been there for a long time in terms of the real world castles that we can draw inspiration from. So that's that's a good start, is finding some terrain that you feel like you can shape a little bit around what you're planning to build instead of just erasing it entirely to build something a little more flat. Yeah, that that addition of like um even just a couple of blocks at the bottom of a wall to make it look like it's it's got some dirt piled up against it or vegetation like bushes and custom trees and stuff like that yeah um mm -hmm. nature definitely encroaches on on all structures if they've been there for even a short period of time in the grand scheme and it does mountains to your to your build to make it look uh, a lot more natural and and part of the world as opposed to something that's been plopped out of creative you know just kind of like bonk, you know drop yeah. from the sky that kind of thing i mean just think about the last time you've watched a tutorial on youtube where the the creative world was a super flat world and yeah. he's like, well, the build looks cool, but it feels really out of context because there's nothing else around it. Yes, uh, that leads that leads in really well to my next point, actually, which is that even though you're talking about doing this from a survival context, it's okay to build sections of this in a separate creative world first. And it's worth remembering that your creative world doesn't have to be a super flat. Like, I, I get that some people have sort of, you know, honor systems about this kind of stuff, but... If you wanted to, you can generate a clone of your same world seed with cheats enabled, build in the exact same spot you aim to build your survival castle, and just use that as a means to do trial and error on what you actually want this thing to look like. And that will save you time in survival, mostly because, you know, you don't have to go through the trial and error effort of building and rebuilding something when you've got things like gravity and physics and a limited inventory for materials and that kind of stuff applying to what you're doing. And it, it will feel at first like you're building something twice if you build it in creative first and then rebuild it in survival, but that means you don't have to build it four times before it looks right when you're doing that stuff in, in survival. Um, so I do think building sections in a separate creative world first can, it can help a great deal and it can also help you plan what materials you want to go into it, both from a block palette perspective and how much stone do I actually have to gather in order to make sure I can build these castle towers. Because when it comes to material gathering, if you're doing that in survival, over preparation is really important. It's always going to take more resources than you expect. You've got five chests of stone already, get a sixth. Like, get a seventh yeah. if, you, if you can as well, because you will find places that that will just disappear. Um, and, and some of those places won't even be visible, but you will know they are there. So it's, it's, it's 
always going to take more resources than you expect unless you've built it so comprehensively in creative first that you can count the blocks or take a schematic um so i, I honestly recommend yeah if, if you're planning some stuff beforehand if you do that in the creative world it's going to make the survival build a little bit easier later and you know all of the survival kind of purists out there be damned it's it's worth doing just to save yourself a little bit of time in the trial and error process unless that's really what you're in it for in the first place and and i'm glad you mentioned sections for creative stuff because one of the reasons i don't build my stuff entirely in creative is because i don't want to do it twice uh, yeah. and there is something that i like about the on the fly design decisions to struggling with something in in survival or the reality in survival of of most of the time this is going to be viewed from below the player perspective and you fly around a lot in creative because it's easy it allows you to see things from different angles very quickly and you end up spending an awful lot of time on the top of that chimney that you can't see mm -hmm. uh, in a survival build so um doing sections i think is is great i did that a lot for the large nether hub uh, in, in our, um, in our world on the Citadel where I didn't recreate the entire hub, but I did so in like either eighths or, or quarters sections where like, I just wanted to know how tall the pillar had to be. Cause I had limits. Like I had a bedrock ceiling I had to work with and I had a certain like Y level that the glass floor was on and so much to go in between. And it's such a pain in the butt. Uh, it's too small of a space to fly around with a Lytra and there was no scaffolding at that point. So um, back in like 112, 113 when we were building mm -hmm. this. So it it became necessary to plan out um, parts of the build to save myself time and, and making costly. Because I mean, it's not hard to redo something in Minecraft. It just takes a long time, especially if you've built something very intricate. And so I wanted to avoid that. So I, I've done that thing where like I'll build you know, a, a five by three section of a wall and a tunnel, knowing on the server, it's going to be repeated a hundred times, right? But to get it right and creative, know what you need, know what looks good together, you can then prep for it that much easier. And nothing takes the wind out of your building sales, like getting two thirds of the way through something and realizing you don't have enough blocks to finish it and yeah, you have to and stop and go mine or whatever, <laughs> you, you know. You need to go and chop trees for another five hours to get all of the wood that it turns <laughs> yeah. out you need and yeah, then strip yeah. all of the logs when you put them in and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And like you know, Joel is coming from this from the, from the perspective of somebody who's been building for a while and is already, you know, a, a trained artist and like you, yeah. you've, got, you've got a lot of experience in that kind of field anyway. And I feel like as somebody who, like our, our correspondent here is relatively new to building in Minecraft we don't know much about their background i feel like a lot of those kind of you know w working in stages and trying to figure out what it is you like about things is all part of the process and you know, allow yourself to make mistakes and remember that anything you build can be rebuilt which is a very intimidating thought at first but then minecraft allows us to make changes to everything we've done um and i find that like when it comes to researching stuff like this, the, there are so mm. many different places to start. And, you know, obviously knowledge of architecture or, you know, some kind of ideas of form and shape from an art background are a bonus, but they're absolutely not essential. I, I think even like architects, they know a lot about the features of a building, but a lot of their job is making sure that whatever they're building doesn't collapse under its own weight, which is not a problem in Minecraft at all. <laughs> so you can do janky floating floors and things that would never hold up in reality. The kind of thing that if you 3D printed them, it would just cave in on itself. Not a problem in game. So 
I think a lot of that stuff you can give yourself a little bit more creative freedom and creative license to just mess around with stuff. And as long as it looks good, you don't necessarily have to mimic real-world architecture as much. That said, if you do want to mimic real-world architecture, if you want something to look like it exists in the real world, research is the most important factor, I think. You start by borrowing and stealing information from everything, whether it's concept art that you found online, you know, do a Google image search for stuff, IRL photo reference if you're able to go out and take pictures of something that you're building in your local area, even your local library. You know, everything is fair game when the project is just for yourself. You don't have to worry about plagiarizing people because it's your personal Minecraft world. They're never going to find it and they wouldn't care. <laughs> so I think just grabbing as much reference material as you can will give you a ton of ideas to work from. And if that doesn't completely overwhelm you, you'll start to figure out, you know, I, I you can cherry pick like a tower here, a, you know, a wall there, the kind of stuff that you want to emulate with your Minecraft build. And I've been gathering reference material of all kinds for stuff that I want to end up building in any of my Minecraft worlds. And it's helped me immensely since I started doing that. Uh, I keep uh, a Pinterest board uh, of of stuff that I find online, uh, whether it's a model, like a miniature, you know, whether it's, um, I don't follow a lot of other Minecraft builds because I don't want to end up copying those. Um, and that's just a personal thing. For someone just starting out, absolutely. Find a build from your favorite Minecraft creator and, and rebuild it. You're going to learn a lot. Uh, by by copying something. We come at that from the context of being content creators and doing this stuff publicly on streams, on videos, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And that, that might be a, an opinion that you hear a lot, that people don't want to steal what other people have done. Doesn't need to apply to you if you're not making commercial content out of your Minecraft stuff. Like, you don't need to worry about plagiarizing other creators at that stage. Uh, we have had uh, FWIP on the show in the past, and we'll have a link to uh, their Pinterest board as well as my Pinterest board in the show notes for fun reference. Just kind of a, an idea of where to get started. They're excellent libraries of stuff to kind of really get you going quickly and spark some ideas. Uh, FWIP has got his stuff like categorized like castles and dwarven and desert and modern skyscrapers like he's got it all sectioned out i do as well but he's got much more stuff um also uh concept art like artstation.com is something that i use quite a bit for just looking for inspiration uh sometimes i might not even use the reference but just the idea of something hanging on a cliffside or being built like upside down hanging from the ceiling something like that might spark a an idea for for what i want to do uh heads up sometimes artstation.com can be uh, not safe for work not that it's lewd it's just that it's an art site so there might be figure drawing and things like that but if you're looking for buildings you're probably not going to run into too much of that um, what I like to do is uh, when you find a couple of images or you've got a couple of research um, bullet points that you've that you've liked and you're going to go down that route, I like to make what I call a brain board or an art board. And so I'll take five or six images that I like. I'll use Photoshop. You can use whatever free software around. It's really not hard. You're just kind of cropping and making a collage of the images that you like and sticking them all in one easy to open image to have uh, next to you, either on a tablet or, or on a second monitor or even just in the background that you can refer to. And if you get to a point where you're confident enough where you, know, you um, can combine ideas or if you just can't find one single reference that does what you want, um, you can take the roof from one image, the tower from another, and the colors from a third, and it's Minecraft. You can kind of just combine them all. And having all that kind of stuff kind of in your peripheral while you're working will help you keep consistent with, you know, scale and 
um, the uh, the the visuals that you want to want to put forward. Uh, I find it super super helpful. It keeps me focused and keeps me from making a build too complicated because Minecraft has got a lot of blocks, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're yeah. looking at references and you're just like, no matter how cool I want to make this look, this reference image is basically gray and brown. <laughs> you know, yeah. like yeah, it 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 keeps you um rooted in in the the idea of the project and and forces some some creativity in there to try and you know make it look authentic which is going to communicate to either anybody that you show it to or just you know your experience in game that it is a castle or it is a specific build like a windmill or something and that it doesn't look unlike what it's supposed to look like in the world because if you're if you're going to represent something like you want it to kind of stick to those shape languages that are uh, generally accepted as like yes that's what a castle looks like you know that that kind of thing yeah and and i think with castles we have so many different examples from from history from the real world about things that you can draw inf information from and i think the context of those is often really important like if you've if you're not put off by the restrictions of stuff like this then you can take examples from why real world castles were built there like you know you build a castle on a hilltop because it's easier to defend it has a good view of the area and in our case we can build cool looking paths leading up to them um but there is a a real world reason to build a castle on top of a hill um if you haven't found the right hill you know you want to build your castle in a valley go ahead maybe it's a checkpoint for traders and travelers who want to enter the region like ultimately having a little bit of lore or story or purpose just an excuse even for why you've built something there is a good way to feel positive about your project is kind of like and it, it can inform how things end up looking you know it is your castle up there on the hill because they don't want people going up there like you build the walls really high as a result to keep people out the gate has to look massive and foreboding and scary to anybody who turns up that informs a few of your design decisions if you're not basing this on a real world thing you can start to make that stuff look the way it feels in the the sort of vibe of the area and and that's all done through context really mm -hmm. so we've covered the where we've covered the what and now the why so in terms of the how like you've got everything picked out you know what you're doing and where you're doing it what's your first step in in planning out a large build I, I've it varies. That's the thing. Like on, <laughs> on, a, on a large build, like like the castle that I built in the the last survival guide world, I ended up doing a series of like these are going to be the major structures, like the tower. There's going to be a gate here. This is where all of the walls go, and kind of draw some dotted lines around the landscape. You know, whether you're doing that with different colors to specify like this is where a certain type of building is going to go or if you're just laying it all out with stone because you know stone is going to be the foundation block for all of that stuff i find that drawing out effectively a blueprint of sorts is pretty helpful and that is the stage at which it's a lot easier to move stuff around if you decide that ultimately no that doesn't quite fit right or that doesn't give me enough space for a courtyard here where i expected there to be some or whatever that is the stage at which you can still move things and it's not going to mean taking down you know a few stacks of stone that you've built there and decided it's in the wrong place you can do that later of course there's nothing stopping you but it's just a lot less effort to do it then and 
I feel like a, a lot of larger builds get more of their character from the shape of things than they do stuff like texture. So getting the shape right early is going to save you a lot of hassle further down the line. I approach large projects like you approach a drawing, like my artwork. So there's a sketch, you refine the shapes, you double check your proportions, you tighten things up and make color selections. And then finally our textures, details, all that kind of stuff, the set dressing as you were. And I, I approached Minecraft the same way. Um, wireframes, you know, like if you're building a house, build a box first. Don't put the entire wall up. You know, you don't start. It's not like a Lego instruction manual, which we mentioned earlier in the show, where they do give you detailed instructions brick by brick about you just have to trust that it's going to look good in the end. With Minecraft, I find, especially for large projects, you want to go with wireframes. And um, to your point in the email, don't use wool. <laughs> it's a real pain to move later. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. If you if you need to use colors to differentiate, you know what you're looking at, then go with concrete because um, they can use a beacon and remove concrete like super fast if you have to. Yeah. Or if it's um, concrete powder and it's affected by gravity, so that might be a concern. But you can shovel that yeah. with an efficiency shovel and it breaks instantly. Yes, exactly. I just happen to have some good pickaxes and I can build a beacon easy enough. So I use things like diorite, granite, and cobble to quickly lay out the foundations in my town because I can see them very easily. Now, I'll have the giant asterisks of like, I use a map mod uh, on the Citadel to help in this process. I can look straight down on this map and see my layout and things like diorite show up super clear. So mm -hmm. it's useful in that way. Um, I don't build entire walls out of it because then I'd have to take it down or remove it. So I just build the wireframes. And so building in stages is really key. And I think another thing that I didn't anticipate when I was going into this, but I've learned from is that take your time. Just because you have the wireframe done doesn't mean you have to immediately then fill in and finish that building. Build another wireframe next to it. Build the whole thing as a giant scaffolding wireframe and and walk by it a couple times like as you're building the you know the, the next stage you're finishing the roof shape of one tower have other things that you're walking by does anything make your eye twitch like do you want to lower a tower because it's blocking the view of something cool behind it or did you realize that you've built these two towers too close together you'd much rather walk in between them uh or have a much wider road or, or something like that um, I find that those things, uh, to, to Pixel Rift's point about um, being able to move something, I mean, nothing is more disheartening than having this really cool tower that's got like leaves hanging over the balcony and everything looks great, only to realize you really want it three blocks to the left. And mm -hmm. it just, you you have two decisions. You either move the tower or you move the rest of the whole build, you know? And and it's, it's you sometimes just have to do it, but you can avoid those kind of time intensive mistakes by, by planning things out in, in stages. What I find really nice about this approach for me is that even though it does involve a lot of rebuilding, now this is because I haven't done anything in creative, so kind of a, a point there, but um, case in point, like the 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 stage I'm at with this, this build on the Citadel this weekend, I've put in the major kind of like swashes, the broad strokes, stone walls, very little detail, stone brick corners, dark oak roof. I've got no windows in the roof. I've got none, none of those kind of details, but it's just a broad stroke. Now, yes, if I had designed the windows in the roof ahead of time and I wanted to put them in right away, I could have. Uh, and it would have saved me from building the entire roof only to have, you know, I have to cut holes in it now to put in the windows uh, and adjust a lot of blocks. 
but I I'm, was more concerned about the height of the build and, and how it was going to look when it was all filled in and what it was going to block out. And I don't mind rebuilding stuff because at each stage, I'm only moderately increasing my time investment. So at any point, if I say, mm, I need to make this roof lower, I'm going to be real glad I didn't take the time to add the windows in only to realize that I have to shift them down a block, you know, later on mm -hmm. or, or they don't work, you know, like they don't make sense if I've reduced the, the roof by three blocks or something drastic, and then there's no more room for windows. And so like, I'm glad that I didn't take the time to do that. Um, for me, I feel like, um, to, in terms of the, how with the flying around and creative, you're going to want to look at things from a couple of vantage points. Sometimes you need to be high to see what's going on specifically with like floor plans or, or building different, you know, several buildings, the kind of, um, blueprint that you'd look down on for a castle build. You'd want to be up high enough that you can understand that's tower. That's the main hall. This is the entrance. That's the wall, that kind of stuff. So build yourself either, uh, like a water elevator tower or a scaffolding tower, something that you can get up and down very easily. If you're at a stage in the game where you've got a Lytra, then maybe build yourself a nice little um, high dive platform or something that you can fly up to and land on easily and take a look at the build. You'll be happy that you did it later where you're not having to constantly fly around and look at something while you're zooming by. It's very difficult to kind of assess the shape of a build when you're flying around. So find the roost that you can sit on. Um, but don't fall into the trap of always looking at your stuff from above because when it's done, chances are you're mostly going to be walking around and looking at it. And so taking a look at the castle or whatever it is you're building from street level, from ground level at various points in the, in the area is going to be also informative as to what you build and, and where. Yeah. And honestly, if you're building stuff like a castle, you're probably going to start building things like diagonal walls and curved walls. And there are going to be some sections like that that are going to feel really messy up close the first time you build stuff like that. Because you're building something larger, those will look a lot better viewed from a distance. The blockiness of stuff like that gets a lot less noticeable in the same way that like when you're up close to one of the newer kind of cliff formations in 1.18, you go, wow, these are actually really square when you look at them. And there's like a couple of sections that look a little bit too kind of artificial and manufactured, but then you row away maybe 50 blocks, turn around and look at it, and you're like, wow, what an awesome looking cliff. And a lot of that is down to perspective and like distance creates a certain amount of illusion where you can you can take in the, the full picture instead of just looking at one element up close. And that, that even applies to stuff like materials. Like, I've seen builders like BWO works things like, um, you know, acacia wood and coal ore and things in to have a color gradient up one wall. And it's the kind of stuff that makes no sense up close. But if you look at it from a distance, it's got the right balance of color and it starts to gradiate the darker grays into the lighter grays a little bit more. So oftentimes, you know, regardless of materials, if you're working with stuff that's going to look good at a distance, you don't need to worry so much about the up-close detail unless you're planning to live there. And if you're if you're planning on spending all of your time in the build and around it, then, you know, those little hidden details are going to mean something to you. And up-close detail is going to matter a lot more and it's going to take a lot more time to build in stuff like that. But if it basically exists just to look pretty from a distance and is not a practical build for stuff you want to do in your Minecraft world, then you don't need to worry as much about stuff like interiors, routes around the build, and those kind of little hidden details that nobody's ultimately going to see. 
if you're flying past it and you spot one of those things, then it's there for a fraction of a second and then it's gone again. <laughs> and you don't really need to worry about it as much. Um, you know, if you, if you want the build to feel more complete over time, then that's something you can spend time on later. But ultimately, throughout this process, you should be giving it time. You know, Rome wasn't mm-hmm. built in a day, is yep. the popular saying, but that's also, I think, wouldn't be the case in Minecraft, even with a solid build team. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> building the entire city of Rome, in my- although that could be a challenge idea for one of the bigger, you know, professional build studios out there. But the reason, uh, going back to what you said in your email, most of the build tutorials you see on YouTube are in creative mode is because of time constraints. You know, it's much more effective for people to provide an overview than it is to make an entertaining video out of the, you know, 10 plus hours of real time it would take to build some of this stuff in survival. And that's assuming that you've gathered all the materials beforehand. You know, I, I ended up doing a castle build that I mentioned in in the original Minecraft survival guide world, that was a week's worth of videos for me. It ended up feeling about 60% complete when I moved on from it, and I just didn't ever really go back and finish out a lot of the detail, but I made a lot of mistakes. I learned a whole lot. I immediately wanted to build another castle when I got done with that one, but I just couldn't justify turning that into more video content. And it, it feels like a great opportunity to learn and plan some of that stuff and figure out what you liked about the process, what you could have done better. So honestly, there is something to be said for just throwing yourself into a project and doing it and giving yourself license to make mistakes, because if you don't feel like looking at it afterwards, a, you can move somewhere else in your Minecraft world. We like to say the world outside is infinite, and that is no more the case than when you want to get away from a completely ugly build that you've decided you don't like anymore. <laughs> um, but the other thing you can do is give it more context. You know, if there is a castle up there, then the castle has a purpose. That purpose is often to either protect or, you know, oversee a town. And if you start building some other stuff around it later, you can find that a lot of the stuff that adds context to a build like that will disguise the fact that you might not be as happy with the build itself. If you're happy with the town that you end up building around it or in front of it, then that can pull a little bit of focus and the castle can still be there in the background, but it's like a movie set where the stuff in the background doesn't matter as much and you start to you know, suspend your disbelief that that's just a painting on a backdrop that they've got around the outside or that it's a, a green screen effect that's out of focus because they don't want to see, like, how artificial it is in the first place. So you can disguise a lot of that stuff later if you don't end up as happy with it. But, you know, putting a bunch of time into it beforehand is going to make sure that you are happy with it. That brings me to my last, like, artistic point, which is uh, composition. And it sounds like a funny thing to talk about when you're t- dealing with like a, a Minecraft build, which is essentially like making a, a miniature or, or a, a model. Um, but one of the things that will save you time, also cover up parts of your build that you feel might be a little bit repetitive or boring, is uh, the idea of thinking like uh, an artist when composing a painting or a cinematographer when then you know composing a shot for a, for a film. And that is uh, you want to focus the eye of whoever is experiencing the build. So if the most important thing of the castle build is your front gate, uh, and even though you want it to be big and you've got these walls that extend to the left and the right, but they're kind of boring, put a tree in front of them. You know, Mm -hmm. like put something in there in the world to create perspective, create scale and um, focus and make 
you know, make the person experiencing the bill going, well, that's just a tree, but man, this front gate, it's the only thing that I can see around here that's worth looking at. And that's good. That's what you want them to do. You want them to look at your exciting front gate, not the boring wall that goes for a hundred blocks in both directions, mm -hmm. uh, that kind of stuff. Um, also, um, wipes or reveals the idea of coming around a corner where you cannot see this really cool tower on the castle until you round a corner. And then it's kind of like, bam, you know, smacking you in the face. Um, castles often have courtyards or like, um, Pick said, um, towns around them. So you can create buildings and have roads that wind and, um, show you a completely different um, scene until you turn the corner and all of a sudden, wow, then you're faced with this castle that's framed by the road and framed by the small buildings on either side of you, meaning you only are looking at this giant, we'll say white castle in the background versus these darker houses that are in front of you. So you can play with stuff like that to help focus the, 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 the gaze of your player yourself or whatever you're experiencing. Um, think about it like a game designer sometimes and just kind of like approach it in, in that way. Um, I feel like that is probably one of the best tools that you can have because I get frustrated with the lack of, we'll say block selection sometimes in Minecraft where I want to add more texture, but it's not worth it for my time investment for the fact that I'm never next to these things. Like they're like, you know, you said viewed from a distance, uh, but I'm still, it makes me frustrated that I have to look at them all the time. So um, I'm not there in a lot of ways on the West Hill build, but eventually there will be some houses and farms and trees and stuff in front of this town. So it doesn't look like it's just kind of plunked, you know, mm -hmm. on, on the landscape. But, um, the other thing is I, I talk a lot on the show about the 70, 30 rule, which is the, um, 30% detail, 70% rest for the eye. And while that is something that you can easily apply to a single build, like a house, you can also apply it to an entire area. You know, if you look at a town or a castle, castles are mostly walls, right? They're mostly towers and walls. Towns, mostly roofs. So my roofs in West Hill, pretty boring. They're, mm -hmm. they're a place for the eye to rest. I'm not putting crazy textures. I'm not doing all kinds of stuff. They're mostly the same color, couple of different things here and there to make it more interesting, but it's mostly kind of like basic stuff. All of my detail are in the first four blocks, the stuff that you see at player level, right? Street entrances, you know, gables, that kind of stuff. So with castles, most of your details are going to be in like windows and wall dressings and towers and minuets and stuff. Your, your walls are going to be fairly simple and that's okay. You know, because it gives a chance for the, the eye to rest as you're looking at the build. We have fired a lot of advice at you. <laughs> so yes. I hope you, I hope you are prepared for this kind of response to that email, but uh, thank you for the email. We really appreciate it. And I'm sure there are tons of people with more building advice out there always happy to hear from you of course if you have more questions if you have more resources to share we love to hear it here at the spawn chunks but that is going to be wrapping up our episode for today you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at the the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud as ever to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can do that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord 
chat where you can listen to the show live and join our community of enthusiastic Minecraft fans. It also gets us closer to our next milestone goals, which at the time of this recording we have hit. We'll see how things settle up as February begins, but we are currently at 330 patrons, which is up five from last week, and we're pretty sure this is the most patrons we've ever had. So thank you all for your continued support, and special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them that they should listen to The Spawn Chunks, and they can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and occasionally participating in big events like Clash of the Creators. I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which is still on a break, but you can find us through a quick YouTube search if you want to browse the back catalogue. And aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcast, The Sizzle Cafe, which is about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment at thesizzlecafe.com. Stephen ESC, a uh, server member uh, of mine, is going to be back this Wednesday. I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about. Probably Star Wars. Uh, you can find me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where on Fridays I'm playing All of Fabric 5, the mod pack that I've put together, uh, or added to, I should say, uh, as well as uh, on weekends I am working on The Citadel. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, so we all have room to build bigger. <laughs>